Amen. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20. And uh, if you're visiting with us, I want to extend a warm welcome to you. My name's Josh. I'm the pastor here. And um, just encourage you to fill out a visitor card. Uh, there's some out in the foyer and hand it to one of the uh, deacons or one of the ushers. We'd love to connect with you. And I'm really glad that you've come to worship with us. John chapter 20 beginning in verse 19. If you don't have a copy of your, your copy of God's Word, there's one in the pew in front of you. It's also printed in the bulletin. John 20, beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, it's Easter evening, the first day of the week, The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told told him, we've seen the Lord. But when he said to them, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The grass withers, the flower fades, of the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you, thankful for this resurrection morning. Thank you that we can have hope in life and eternal life because you rose again from the dead, Lord Jesus. And so we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would meet among us, you would work in us, that you would bring conviction, encouragement, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, and you would comfort us where we need to be comforted. And most of all, would you show us Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. We pray in his name. Amen. Have you guys seen this uh, mortgage commercial where a family comes into an open house and uh, they're talking about the house and then the wife says to the husband, can we afford this house? And he says, I'm pretty sure we can afford it. And then 
the camera spans to Tracy Morgan, and uh, he says, with this mortgage company, you can be certain, not pretty sure. And uh, the husband says, well, what's the difference? And he says, well, let me show you. And then the commercial pans to all these different scenes, right? One, uh, all the family is in the woods, and Morgan picks up this red mushroom with white dots on it, and he says, I'm pretty sure these aren't poisonous. And then one of the people in the background falls over. Uh, then they pan to an airplane, and everyone's getting ready to skydive, and they're ready, you know, right there at the door, and they're all wearing these Hello Kitty backpacks. And... Uh, Morgan says, I'm pretty sure these are parachutes. Then they go to uh, the front yard of a home, and there's this giant hornet's nest, and they're all standing under it, and he's about to hit it with a stick and knock it out of the tree, and he says, I'm pretty sure these hornets aren't the murdering type. Then they pan back to the open house, and everyone looks at each other, and they say, certain is better. Certain is better. The resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrate this Sunday and every Sunday is about certainty. It is the confirmation that God fulfills his promises, that we have victory and we have a future through Jesus Christ. Luke and Acts, the theme of those two books is they were written so that we might have certainty about what we believe. And John's theme is, is similar. We see it at the end of chapter 21. He wrote this book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So when it comes to the crucifixion and the resurrection, we're not pretty sure that it happened. It's not a possibility for Christians. We stand on this truth and reality that Christ rose again from the dead. We're certain of it. And 1 Corinthians talks about this. It talks about the gospel, the first things first, importance of the gospel. If Christ has not been raised, it says, if he's not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, and we are the most pitiful people in the world. But Christ has been raised. And you may be thinking to yourself, okay, Christ rose from the dead, so what, preacher? What does it have to do with me and my life? And this is what I want to suggest to you this morning. The resurrection impacts us now. It's not only a theological truth that we believe. It's not only a historical fact that we hold on to. It is a transformational reality in our world and in our lives. It's the fuel that can help carry us through the ups and downs of life, through the twists and turns, knowing that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again can strengthen us through those challenges. It can carry us through the darkest days that we've ever faced or will ever face. and can also shape the greatest joys of our lives. Have you guys ever heard of the hymn, Because He Lives? Because He Lives, it's been covered recently by David Ramirez. It's an excellent cover. It's going to be hard for me not to sing this right now, but I'm going to try to read it to, to save you from that. Um, God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. 
Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth the living. Because he lives. You see, the resurrection has implications for us now. Resurrection implications for our life. And we're going to look at those together. But before we do, I want to help bring us up to speed about where we are in the gospel story. It's Sunday. Friday, just a few days earlier, Christ was falsely accused and tried. And and he carried his cross to Golgotha. And he was crucified. And he died. And now on Sunday, Mary And some of the other women, Peter and John, have seen the empty tomb. Mary herself has seen Jesus. Jesus called her by her name and she ran to tell the rest of the disciples, He's alive! I've seen Jesus! And now we find ourselves, they're locked up in a room and the disciples are hopeful and fearful. They're believing, but they really don't understand what's going on. And they're about to get a taste and see resurrection certainty. And there are three things that Jesus shows them in this passage. Resurrection peace, resurrection mission, and resurrection power, even in the face of their doubts. So first of all, resurrection peace. Where does he show them this peace? He shows them in a locked room. Maybe it's the same room where they celebrated the Lord's Supper together. And it says the doors were locked, but Jesus appeared in their midst. And this is a miracle. If Jesus rose from the dead, he can show up behind locked doors. We heard about it last week from the book of Acts. If he can free his disciples from prison and no one knows about it, he can show up here with his disciples. And so he he meets with them behind closed doors. And what does he communicate? He says these powerful words from verse 19. Peace be to you. Peace be to you. And in Greek, this word peace is arene, but it would have certainly been from Jesus to his disciples, the word shalom. You've heard that word before, right? We think about peace. And a lot of us think about peace as the absence of stress, the absence of conflict. Some of us think about peace and we think about being a an early morning on a crisp winter day and you're in a deer stand and the sun rises and you get to see the morning arise. Some think about the sunset on the beach and after a perfect day with your family. Some think about peace as being at the spa and having an exfoliating mask and those cucumber slices over your eyes. That's what peace is. And here's what I want to say to you. Peace is not less than that, but it is so much more. And the shalom of God is so much more than that. John Stott says it like this. Shalom is more than the absence of stress. Peace with you, shalom means well-being in its fullest sense. Shalom gathers up all the blessings of God and the kingdom of God. Shalom is life at its best under the gracious hand of God. And that's what Jesus communicated to his disciples after the resurrection. You think about this, Jesus' ministry was shalom, it was at the center of his ministry. And so his teaching, for instance, 
He taught as one who had authority. He taught with power, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. And what was at the center of his message? You can have peace with God through me. And think about his miracles, giving sight to the blind, healing the sick, casting out demons. He was turning this broken world right side up. He was bringing shalom, kingdom, peace. And his ministry, what was it about? The trajectory of Jesus' life was he was born to die. The incarnation is powerful because he, was, he came into this world to lay down his life as a sacrifice for us and to rise again in victory. And so post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, Stott says it like this, Peace to you on Easter evening is the perfect complement to it is finished on Good Friday. So sisters and brothers, resurrection certainty means we can have peace with God. We can have reconciliation and forgiveness and acceptance. Jesus bought and brought peace by his blood. You think about this, the chasm. My arms aren't long enough. The chasm between God's holiness and our sin has been bridged by the perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And so the war and the enmity and the strife has been replaced by peace and healing and hope. That's why we're here. That's what this peace is about. But how does it come to the disciples. Jesus says, peace be with you. And what does he do immediately following that? He showed them his hands. He showed them his side. It's real. Come, look, you can touch me. You can see. I love you. I did it. I told you this was going to happen time and time again. The same is true for us. He moves toward us with reassurances of his peace. Every sermon, every uh, healing, every aspect of Jesus' life is a confirmation to us that he brings us peace. And it says here in the passage that the disciples were glad when they saw Jesus. Probably better translated, they were overjoyed. The disciples were over the moon when they saw Jesus. I'm sure there were tears of joy. And I want to ask this question, why? Why speak peace? Sometimes peace from God, the shalom of God, actually brings disruption in our lives. We've all heard about the, the Evergreen, that giant cargo ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. You know, clogging up uh, world shipping traffic, millions and tons of cargo just sitting in the ocean waiting to get to its destination. And sometimes the peace of Christ, the shalom of the resurrection, disrupts our own lives. Some of you Bible scholars are out there saying, didn't Jesus say somewhere, I didn't come to bring peace but the sword? You're right, he did. He said that in Matthew chapter 10, and he's speaking specifically about the nature of gospel ministry. So think about it this way. When Jesus confronted the self-righteous Pharisees, when he blew up their worldview, he was bringing kingdom peace, shalom from God, the rule and reign of God. 
when Jesus uh, interacted with the woman caught in adultery and said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The peace, shalom of God brought uh, gospel disruption in her life. So resurrection peace disrupts our lives as well, and it addresses the idols in our lives, especially idols like control and comfort. Jesus shakes up our lives because he has bigger plans for us than the stuff that we settle for so often. So the sin and the and the idols that we hold on to and we think, I've got to have this to be happy. I can't let this go. And Jesus is saying, I've got something so much better for you. His plan is transformation and renovation and let go of the sin that you're holding on to so that you can experience renewal and refreshment and repentance from the Lord. Sometimes resurrection peace disrupts our lives through suffering and through trials, and through hardship. And those who have been through difficult times, so many of them will tell you, you know, when I experienced the deepest shalom in my life was when I was hurting, and when I was at the end of my rope, and when I was afraid, and when I was struggling. Where do you need to lean into and embrace the perfect life blood-bought, resurrection-empowered shalom of Jesus Christ. In your finances, your health, your comfort, your work, do you need to embrace His resurrection peace when it comes to politics or family? One of the diagnostics that we can use here is where are those areas in your life where you're the most insecure and the most afraid and you're the most angry or suspicious or outraged? Those are diagnostics that can help identify the idols and the areas in our lives where we need to lean into the shalom and resurrection peace of Jesus. The second thing we see from this passage, not only resurrection peace, we see resurrection mission. And after Jesus uh, says these things, he reassures them again. He says it again Peace be with you. And then what does he say? As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He goes straight from peace to mission. And the certainty of the resurrection leads us away from a stagnant faith, a sedentary faith. It's about mission. And we've seen this unfold week in and week out through the book of Acts. We've seen God's resurrection power because God is on a mission. And one of the things that stands out here is that this mission, this resurrection mission, is from the Trinity. It's from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, sent by the the Father, supported by the Spirit. That same model is given to the disciples, and it's given to us. Think about it. The Father's authority. We've been commissioned. Our commission to take the message of the gospel to the nations is linked to the Father's commissioning of Jesus. And so Jesus is essentially saying, look, it's an unbroken chain. It goes all the way to the top. This has always been part of the plan. The Father's authority, the Son's work. Jesus accomplished redemption. He purchased our pardon. Then the life, death, and resurrection, which is fundamental to our salvation, is also the message that we carry. 
As we've seen this before, the message and the mission of the resurrection of Christianity intersect in Jesus Christ. And then the Spirit's power, he breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he's essentially saying, I told you this was going to happen. I wouldn't leave you as orphans. I'll send you the encourager, the comforter. And this is the promise of God's uh, prophets from the Old Testament, that God's Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And so they're getting a taste, a glimpse of what will happen at the day of Pentecost, which we've seen through the book of Acts. So resurrection mission, the certainty of the resurrection If Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, that means that we're loved by the Father, we're saved by the Son, and we're empowered by the Spirit. And that mission is meant to shape our lives. Not just that fact, but that mission is meant to shape our lives. 1 Corinthians, at the end of 1 Corinthians, there's this very familiar passage. You probably know it by heart. O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we usually end there. But the passage goes on with words of mission and commission. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see how that resurrection mission shapes our lives. I'm convinced that we struggle, we lack joy, we're weak, we're apathetic, we're frustrated in so much of our lives because we neglect and ignore God's resurrection mission. I've used this quote before. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Easter is about worshiping the resurrected Christ. Amen. Easter is always also about carrying the message. And we can think about how to do that. We pray for our friends and neighbors and co-workers. We can think about ways to move toward them. We can invite them to church. We can host them in our homes. We can share our story of God's rescue, our testimony. We can learn to share the gospel, to evangelize. Sisters and brothers, how will they know if we don't tell them? This is the greatest mission that we could possibly be a part of in the entire universe, and it's rooted in the resurrection. And I can hear the objections now because they come into my head. I imagine they come into yours. I don't have the resources. I don't have the power. We can hear Jesus say, I do. It's my mission. I'm not qualified, God. I sin daily. I've blown it. I lived and died and rose for you. It's about me, not about you. This mission is overwhelming and impossible. Not for me. How will we go on? How will we have the strength? I'm so tired. The Holy Spirit will guide and lead and carry you. As a father has sent me, 
Even so, I am sending you. Do you see the power there? Jesus speaks resurrection peace and resurrection mission into our lives. And he also speaks resurrection certainty into the doubts that we have. We all know about Thomas. For some reason, he wasn't there that night that Jesus appeared. And when he comes back, everyone comes up to him and says, We saw the Lord. He's alive. And grief and heartbreak can do funny things to us. You know Thomas loved and trusted these men. He'd lived with them for the past three years. But he dug in his heels, probably because he was so afraid of being hurt again. And he said, verse 25, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. Oh, look. Thomas loved Jesus. Jesus loved Thomas. And he was cautious and wounded, and so he took a stand here. So eight days later, Jesus shows up, same way, same place, same words, peace be with you, shalom. And I imagine, if at least if it were me, Peter, uh, Thomas might try to kind of slip into the background. Nope. Thomas, Jesus said, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And his answer is a cry of the soul. My Lord and my God. His answer is a confession. His answer is a profession where he says, I believe, I'm sorry, I love you, God. And there are a few things that we can take from this section of the passage about the resurrection and the certainty of the resurrection in the face of our doubts. One, disciples having questions about Jesus and about what happened, it's not something new. If you've ever had questions about your faith, you're not alone. Jesus moves toward us in our doubt. Why? Because he can handle it. He can carry it. He can take it from us. And so he doesn't write Thomas off. He doesn't say, I'm done with him. He doesn't give him the cold shoulder. But notice also, Jesus doesn't swoop in right then to fix everything. Jesus moves toward Thomas in his doubt. He does the same thing with Peter, right? You remember after, uh, at, at the, the tomb, the, the angel said, Go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus said to meet them, meet him in Galilee. And then after the resurrection, when they're fishing, and then they enjoy breakfast with Jesus on the beach, Jesus takes Peter aside and he says, Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Keep my commandments. Or feed my sheep, excuse me. Do you love me? Tend my lambs. See, he moved toward Peter and Thomas in their questions, in their doubts, in the midst of their fears, because he loved them. These weren't acts of judgment. He didn't move toward them to bury them. They were invitations to come back to Jesus. Welcome home. What is our tendency 
when we face doubt? Well, it's to withdraw, right? It's to hide. It's to step away. How many people do you know whose story is something like this? Yeah, I used to go to church, but I was hurt or disappointed or let down or something happened in my life. Are those people at that church are all a bunch of hypocrites? Are you, can you believe what that pastor did to me and did to us? And Look, those are all real things. I used to go to church, but then this happened in my life. Here's the bottom line question. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Did Jesus Christ get out of the tomb 2,000 years ago? Is it empty? If that's true, and we believe with certainty that it is, then it trumps all of the other stuff. If the resurrection is real, we must bring Jesus our questions and doubts. I love this quote from Yaroslav Pelikan. If Christ has been raised, nothing else matters. If Christ has not been raised, nothing else matters. See, it's in times of doubt when we need to lean in the most. Not with fake plastic smiles, not pretending that everything is awesome all the time really turning to God. And you know what our guide here is? It's the Psalms. When you read the Psalms in the Old Testament, you read songs of the heart. You read cries of the soul where people say, God, why am I going through this? Why have you forsaken us? Why is this happening? But you know what? Their prayer, their songs were directed to God. My high school choir director used to tell us in practice When in doubt, sing loud. What? You know, and uh, when you get to those parts in the piece of music that are really hard to sing, and you don't really know what the notes are, you know what your tendency is to just kind of sink back down. And, uh, but for us to really grow, And to identify the parts where we had issues and problems, for us to sing well, we had to bring those out into the light. He didn't want us to sing loud so he could shame us and say, you're terrible. You're out of the choir. No. He wanted us to sing loud in those places we didn't know the music so we could get better, so we could grow together, so we could lean into those issues. And the certainty of the resurrection empowers us and enables us to address our doubts head on and to bring them to Jesus. And here's some things you can take with that. Those doubts probably won't be resolved overnight. You're probably going to struggle. You may go through the dark night of the soul or the valley of the shadow of death, and there will be some days where all you can manage is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But that commitment 
to trust, that commitment to move forward in faith, even with baby steps, will be blessed by God. And Jesus will be with us and carry us. You know why? Because he rose again from the dead. See, the glory of Easter and the resurrection is that it is the hinge and the turning point and the cornerstone bedrock of our faith and of our life. And the question for you this morning is, are you resting in what Jesus did for you? Are you believing this morning in Jesus Christ as your hope, not only for this life, not only to cover the mistakes and sins that you've made in the past and what will happen in the future, but your hope for eternal life is Christ, your life. Are you trusting in him this morning? These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And dear ones in Christ, I want you to take courage and take heart because Jesus offers us resurrection peace with a resurrection mission he offers us resurrection certainty, even in the face of our doubts, and we don't have to pay for it. It's absolutely free. It comes with cosmic certainty, and it will carry us home. Back to that song, Because He Lives. Then one day, I'll cross that river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. Then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he reigns. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for your loving kindness and compassion toward us. Lord Jesus, we could never say thank you enough for what you've done for us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to lead and guide us as a church, as individuals, pointing us to our resurrected Savior. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.